Welcome, everybody, to episode 189 of the Metabolist 2 podcast, which features myself, Ben. And I am David. And what are we doing this week, David? We are going to set the control dial of the TARDIS, and we're going to go back 40 years to 1981 <laughs> and look at Doctor Who magazine for 1981. It, it had just transferred uh, a few issues earlier to a monthly issue number 43 was the last of doctor who weekly in august i think okay august 7th uh was uh, 1980 the last issue of doctor who weekly and then uh, at the end of 1980 it switched over to the monthly format and it got a little more mature so we are going to look at starting with issue 48 and uh, see what doctor who was like was like then, and uh, kind of see if it helped shape fandom as it uh, is today, or at least our fandom. Let's um that quickly. Um, were you reading Doctor Who monthly at this point? Was it available at in this point, the United States of America? I would have been no. I think I would have been on ten or eleven years old, and it would have been a real stretch. Money-wise? Uh, well, money-wise, but uh, just me going into a comic book store. Oh, gotcha. I'm not sure this was in. And reading some of the letters in 1981, it seemed like Doctor Who Monthly was not in the U.S. at that time, although they were trying to get some of the early-run Tom Baker Marvel Doctor Who comics in the U.S. then. So it probably wasn't until the mid-'80s that I started picking up Doctor Who okay. monthly. Well, I also was definitely not reading it at this time. I would have been tw- 11. No, hang on. How old would I have been? Oh, I've been like 15, 14, 14 15 or something. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, my, my hard-earned pocket money was going on other stuff at that point. Mm-hmm. So I was not reading Doctor Who monthly. Um, I also probably would have been bullied mercilessly had I <laughs> brought that back to my dormitory in my boarding school. Um, Indeed, yes. So it was not a cool magazine to read, uh, whereas, I mean, I was passionately reading 2000 AD at that point, um, which I guess we'll come on to when we talk about the comic strips, but not Doctor Who Monthly. Would this have been something that you would even uh, leaf through in news agents, or would you have ignored no, it? No, and I, I'll tell you why. It's It's really ugly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the <laughs> front cover of January's issue, January 81's issue right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pink and, and it's, green. It's pink. It's not, not, It's like pink pink, not like, mm-hmm. a, you know, pink, real pink. Carnation pink. And green. And there's like a blue inset text, which you can't even read. Right. It's TV's Doctor Who 2 Frightening, question mark. I mean, it's a mess design-wise. Mm-hmm. And I think in that way... You know, I, I, I'm not saying I had a very highly developed aesthetic sensibility, you know, when I was 14, 15 years old, but I, it, it actually doesn't look very exciting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's nothing in it that I think there's nothing on the front of it that would have really attracted me, to be honest, apart yeah. from it saying Doctor Who. And I didn't. And again, at that point, I was kind of falling out of love with Doctor Who right. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. Yeah, this is uh, contemporary with season 18 on the cover is a scene from State of Decay with the Doctor and Romana surrounded by uh, the, I don't know, the rebels. <laughs> <laughs> rebel peasants rebel peasants yes and the cover price is 30p so how expensive how, how expensive was that what would be a comparable 
thing. What could you pick up for 30p back in That is an 81? excellent question. Uh, that is an excellent question. Okay, hang on. Let me just... Like, how much was a Target novel? Uh, uh, Novelization ooh. was like 45p, right? Or was it... Uh... Yeah, I think... I seem to remember they were like 60p, maybe. Okay. At that point, um, I'm just... Yeah, so so 2000 AD, which was the comic that I read, the kind of famous British comic, mm -hmm. um, I'm looking at one from later in 1981. Mm -hmm. That was 16p. Okay, so, so it was, it was pricey. Half, it was half the price right. of Doctor Who magazine. And to be honest, uh, certainly at that age, twice as thrilling. Right. <laughs> so shall we uh, turn the cover? Oh, yes, why not? Um, we, we're going to tremble beneath the talons of Wang Chiang, uh, apparently, according to the cover. Right. Um, on, how do I... So, okay. looking at the cover here, uh, inside the cover we have a pinup. <laughs> if we're Ooh. delving into language, and the uh, fun thing about this pinup is it's uh, Leela. Indeed. The savage companion of the Doctor's fourth, F-O-R-T-H, incarnation. <laughs> the, the spelling spelling is not their strong suit, Doctor Who magazine. I've noticed that looking through these issues, actually. Mm -hmm. Which, again, I mean, is fair, because this is all done in letter set. You know, mm -hmm. there is no... Yep, it's all done it's by all hand. done by hand. And again, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm teasing them about the design. I'm not saying I could have designed a, you know, a full mm -hmm. color, not a full color, but, you know, a color cover black and white graphic um, uh, with a comic mm -hmm. and, you know, different fonts and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's a, that's a hard job. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them that. And this is the, under the editorship of Paul Neary. Yeah. And I think this was the last one that Paul edited. This one was. The important thing to consider here is the consultant for this entire run is Jeremy Bentham of Doctor oh. Who Appreciation Society. I think he passed president at this point in time. But Indeed. famous or infamous for shaping much of the opinions of fandom with the Peter Haining books and Terence Dix's books of the synopsis of stories. So uh, those two gentlemen... Uh, have a lot to say or their voice is heard throughout this um just a quick note on paul neary so paul neary was um was a, a kind of a jobbing kind of roving editor for marvel uk who were the publishers yes of dr who magazine and also an artist and drew quite a lot of the backup strips for uh, certainly the early issue earlier issues of doctor who weekly hmm. um as well as doing a lot of editing and also um inking lettering etc as well as script writing for Marvel UK properties and mm -hmm. and of course and also doing doing scripts for Doctor Who magazine mm -hmm. and the amount of words in here uh, just jumping from the weekly to the monthly uh, increased significantly and you can start to see uh, the content becoming a little more geared towards uh, actually your age group at the time I think late teen or early early 20s yeah. type reader so uh this is no longer for the kids anymore this is much more mature it is still also very much geared to fans of doctor who as well oh um, yes i have yeah. to say yeah. yes. <laughs> not a lot of not a lot of other content mm -hmm. um in this magazine which i think is actually kind of interesting um one of the i think the fascinating things about doctor who magazine in general is that you know it's run for such a long time and it has been about one tv show yes 
Uh, and that's kind of unusual um, mm-hmm. in that I don't think there's another magazine that's done that. Yes. Uh, anything in the table of contents that you want to touch on, or should we turn on to let's, the next page? Let's turn the page. Ooh. All right. Oh, so, Gallifrey Guardian. Uh, so the, uh, the lead is Controversy Over the Fate of K-9. Um, I'll also I'll, I'll just point out this: the kind of double page intro spread is entitled um, "Titled Gallifrey Guardian." Yes, and um, I'll note that it's printed on both on Gallifrey and Mars. Um, the the date is um, in September the hundredth. Yep, and this issue cost one hundred one Gallifounds. <laughs> um, that is a pretty kind of standard kind of British comic kind of masthead there um mm-hmm. again um, readers of 2000 ad will be very familiar with things being printed on other planets and costing strange sums of money so a little bit trivia there mm-hmm. so they're surprisingly from talking to you i'll, I'll just read here a little bit the save canine campaign backlash of protests surprised even the bbc the Daily Express canvassed opinions from children, while Points of View devoted almost half a show to viewers' letters of anguish. <laughs> letters of anguish. So children, people, fans did not want to see K-9 going, and it was announced, JNT announced K-9 was leaving the program. Yeah. Well, he was always doing stuff like that, wasn't he? I mean, you know, he was always like, this thing is going to happen, mm-hmm. and then you either didn't or it didn't. You know, mm-hmm. he was so good at, like, just drumming up. Um, publicity for the show by kind of saying things right well and um, k9 was indeed leading <laughs> yeah he was leaving um and if i had cared at that point i would have been delighted because i didn't like k9 <laughs> but on the other page we've got some exciting uh, merchandise um news which is they're going to be some k9 books yes have you ever seen these before i have not um i have ever <laughs> i have seen them in the wild okay i have not bought them because they don't look very good k9 in the zeta rescue by Dave David Martin and K9 in the Beast of Vega, another David Martin title. And in, in the verbiage, Dave Martin said both a children's program on BBC TV, possibly featuring the radio controlled machine and maybe alternatively an animated series akin to Paddington Bear were possibilities. Yeah, there certainly were possibilities. <laughs> And um, we've also got an announcement of the changing face of Doctor Who as well. The new Doctor is the 29-year-old Peter Davison. Yes, indeed we do. Yeah. Most Which famous is... for his role as Tristan in the BBC television program All Creatures Great and Small. Now, I didn't look at previous issues. Is this the first we've heard of this? I think this is breaking news. This is where it was announced. Is that why it's kind of sort of obviously been pasted in? Um, it does, a little bit. does look like they did a last minute reorganization of the page. Let's uh, We're going to overlap the two canine books and we're going <laughs> to yeah. put in a little yeah. bit on the changing face of Doctor Who. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, so that's exciting. I think that would have been thrilling news. For anybody, though, I suspect that probably would have been in the papers, um, mm-hmm. newspapers, before it got to the magazine, since this was now a monthly. Yeah, yeah it isn't until September of 81 that I think Peter Davison gets his cover and they do the whole press rollout and whatnot. Oh, shebang, yeah. The other other interesting thing in here is the uh, talking about the incidental music and about Pangle's March. And this seemed, I'm not sure what audience they were going for with this little factoid. Pangle's March derives its tempo from Ravel's Bolero, brought recently to public attention by its spectacular inclusion in Dudley Moore's Bo Derrick's film 
10. 10. So I'm not sure how many uh, of the kids set <laughs> had seen 10 in 1981, but... Uh... I will have to say that at the age that I was, uh, 14 years old, going yep. on 15... I was well aware of the Dudley Moore, Bo Derek mm. film 10. Okay. Um, and I was also well aware that it included Ravel's Bolero. Okay, so it was a touch cultural touchstone at this point. Yeah, it was a big, sexy film. And there were posters everywhere. When you, you know, drove past the cinema, there was like Bo Derek lying on the beach with her cornrows. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I've never actually seen 10, in fact. Is it, is it any good? <laughs> anyway, but it was like, it was one of those like, ooh, grown-up, adult, sexy films. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, was was it a big thing in the states? I don't know. I don't know. It was, uh, yes, definitely a big thing in the states, way before my time and interest in movies, and movies, uh, movies, or or sexy ladies on yeah. the beach. Yes. So I was, uh, I think, a ten or eleven when this would have come out, and it just would not have been a factoid that would have registered for me. Yeah, well, I, I guess it registered for Paul Neary and or Jeremy Bentham. Yep. So there you mm-hmm. go. Yeah. Uh, the last little bit, right in the center. Doctor Who conquers the United States. That's all about the uh, Iron Legion in color in the United States. Yeah, yeah, excellent. But the but the interesting tidbit, and this kind of makes me want to seek it out, and maybe our friend uh, Greg has this, but it has on the cover of the back had Roger Delgado in a full Pridonian robes. Huh. And I think that would be something to see. Yeah. Because somebody um, at Marvel whipped that out. Yeah. That would be interesting. And um, that's probably on the internet somewhere. But, uh, Greg Charles, if you're listening, <laughs> send us a picture. All right. Is it, I think uh, moving on to Who Cares, the next uh, page, the letters section. Yeah. And I, uh, well, okay. It's not, the, it's not the greatest. It's not the greatest um, title for a letters page. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's probably the most accurate <laughs> from any kind of <laughs> letters That's page. Because later, later in, in the run in the uh, letters page, they would say this uh, Marvel Comics cannot enter into correspondence with any letter writer. And they stopped responding. But these early, early, early ones, they did put some editorial comments at the end of them. They did. They did. They did. They did. Um, exciting there to see old Matthew Waterhouse is writing to, to who cares. Yes. With his address of BBC Television London... He was already with the show at that point. I think he was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of weird that he would have written to them when he could have just, like, I don't know, been in the magazine since he was in the show. But, I mean, that's uh, that's fair. Any other writers catch your eye? Um, no, I don't recognize anyone else, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, I'll just read some, just to kind of give a taste of what people are writing in here. David Pemberton of Duncanfield Cheshire wrote in to complain that the Target novelizations were not in broadcast order and asked DWM to publish a list in TV appearance order in the magazine to help them sort it out. Uh, Steve Ellicott, uh, Westberg on Trim, Bristol, writes, I think Full Circle is one of the best adventures shown on television for a very long time and seems to be going back to the original type of adventure. Great. I hope there are more like this to come. So, yeah, well... Do you think that uh, captured uh, the general viewer? Yeah. Reaction with Full Circle. Yeah. Um, did you did you see Full Circle on its original? Run? I did see Full Circle. I didn't like Adric at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've already yeah we've, we've had these conversations that, yeah. before. Yeah. Um, and I remember thinking, well, they kind of done this before. I I didn't care for Full Circle at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, because you know things coming out of water that that's kind yeah. of regular. 
pretty regular Doctor Who theme there. Mm-hmm. And then there's a really long letter from Richard Graham coming from East Sussex. And I'll just excerpt a little bit. Now that you've gone monthly, it is better. However, it would be nice to see the inside covers used for color photographs instead of the black and white ones you print. Hmm. Have you realized that not one cover of your excellent magazine has depicted the Patrick Troughton as the doctor? Surely there must be at least one color picture of him that could go on your cover. You have only printed one of William Hartnell. Tom Baker gets all the coverage. Remember, he is not the only one who has played the doctor in 17 years. True. Yeah. And, yeah. and then uh, the editor uh, writes kind of a little, kind of a snarky response. Um, but informative, too, uh, considering this was a 30P publication. The idea of printing the inside covers in color is interesting, but color printing is staggeringly expensive. The economics of the magazine just wouldn't allow for it. And then he continues on a little bit. We have now used Patrick Troughton on the cover of DWM. See last issue. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a slightly peevish, peevish reply there from Paul Neary. But... Yeah, just a, just a tad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get the first comic in the magazine, yes. Dreamers of Death. Uh, yes, Dreamers of Death, written by Steve Moore and drawn by Dave Gibbons. What do you make of that one? How, how did that go down for you? Um, I, I've, I, I mean, I've read it yes. before. I have the, it's collected in the, um, the one of those Panini collections. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Gibbons, you know, very important British comic artist, prominent, most prominent in the United States, working with Alan Moore on Watchmen. Mm-hmm. And um, Steve Moore is not related to Alan Moore, but they were best friends. Um, and Steve Moore was kind of a mentor to Alan Moore. And Steve Moore wrote a lot of kind of jobbing scripts for 2000 AD mm-hmm. and a lot of the backup scripts, backup stories for Doctor Who magazine. With Alan Moore, he created a character called Axel Pressbutton, um, which is a character I'm very fond of, drawn by Steve Dillon, who is kind of a proto-Absalom Dark. And I think um, Steve Moore also created Absalom Dark, unless I'm very much mistaken. Hmm. Anything in the artwork or in this? This is the final installment of the story. Yeah, well, this is Sharon, who was the first BIPOC companion for the Doctor. And I think she was created by Pat Mills who wrote some scripts for Doctor Who magazine, but was the creator um, with various others of 2000 AD and action and battle and a lot of the kind of important kind of new wave Mm -hmm. British kids comics of the 1970s. Um, But this is her last episode, I think. Um, Yep, the Doctor says goodbye to her at the end. Yep, Um, so this is actually kind of an important story because we're saying goodbye to Sharon and her impressive hairstyle. Okay. That's what I have to add. All right. So uh, skipping on to page 16, we get the Architects of Fear. And uh, uh, with most of these articles, there's not an author, except on occasion, Jeremy Bentham gets a tagline. So I'm guessing this is uh, the editor writing this story. It's either, I mean, to be honest, at this point, it's either Jeremy Bentham or it's Paul Neary. Right. It's one of two people. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not many very, there's not many people working on this, on this map. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, there's some interesting quotes in here. Anything leap out at you? No. Um, I, I, I was, I mean, again, I would, like you, I was thinking, well, who's writing this? Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I think looking at these, I think the level of detail and kind of back knowledge about the show, I'm thinking this is Bentham who's writing this mm. um, because he's the guy who kind of knows stuff. Yeah. Whereas um, Neary is, you know, he's a Marvel Comics editor. So that's my take. It could be that uh, Neary was writing this too, just based off conversation with Bentham too. It's sort of like, all right, talk that to me about true. talk to me yeah, about tell fear. me, tell me, yeah, tell yeah. me about the architects of fear. So like the hook, the hook is if Doctor Who has never at least once filled you with unreasoning terror, then you really have missed out on an important aspect of its appeal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's it was a scary show. Mm-hmm. Wasn't particularly scary to me at this point in its in its in its no. life, but um, but it's a nice little article, you know. But they do talk about the planet of the spiders. Uh, talking, uh, I'm guessing that I, if memory serves, this is Mary Whitehouse's organization, National Viewers. Oh and yeah, Listeners yeah, sorry, the National, the National Viewers and Listeners Association is Mary mm-hmm. Whitehouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they. They argued that the fear of spiders was such a common dread, it was irresponsible for the BBC to allow transmission of the story that so graphically displayed a race of very large spiders who had a frequent habit of leaping on to their unfortunate victims. <laughs> yeah, they were just jerks, basically. <laughs> it's sort of like spiders. Now, I can, I, can, they might have had a point with uh, your finished doctor with the deadly assassin drowning the doctor, maybe. But, mm. but giant... Spiders, come on, that's yeah. And as we know, the, the spider originally was a lot more frightening. Yeah, they do mention that. Yeah, you know, so there you go. Yeah, they toned it down. And there's some elements of the memory cheating here because uh, the troll doll from Terror of the Ottans is referred to as the deadly teddy bear. Oh, I did not notice yeah. that. Yes, the yes, deadly teddy correct. bear with a cute line in strangulation. <laughs> and of course, I mean, I think the point to, to the point to make there is a couple of things. One of which is a lot of this material is being written from memory. Yes. Um, because I'm not sure at this point in the history of Doctor Who magazine, they were certainly they had access to images from the show. Mm-hmm. Um, though I will have to say it's very clear to me, certainly, that the images were the images that everyone got. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a connoisseur of the covers of the Target novelizations, you'll <laughs> recognize all of these photographs um, as being adapted mainly by Chris Achilleos to make those covers. Um, so they were getting pictures, but I, I, I don't think they were, they were, they were, you know, they were delving into the BBC archives and getting to watch the show. Mm-hmm. So this is Jeremy Bentham, I guess, misremembering that it was a teddy bear mm-hmm. um, rather than knowing that it was a devil doll because right. he's seen pictures of it or has watched the VT. Right, yeah, in- indeed. And the whole the whole uh, focus of the article is the attempt to answer the question, what makes Doctor Who frightening? And they're saying, is it okay to be frightened? Is it okay to frighten children or viewers? And the most interesting thing is basically the, the writer of this, whether it be Bentham or Neary, saying uh, it really never was that scary to me, except for the 1963 Dalek story right. with Barbara <laughs> being menaced by the plunger. Uh, and the, the quote is, or the, the writing is, strangely, although the episode did scare me more than any television program before then had ever done, there is no way I was going to miss the next week's episode. So that's how it concludes. It's sort of like the fear is what drew the kids back every week. Sort of like they wanted to see how this would shake out. And it is, all, again, also interesting that whoever is writing this, they are describing their experience of watching the 
writing this as a child as as being you know the most frightening bit yeah and as course as we know that's how doctor who works you know we you 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 like a duckling um you imprint upon <laughs> yes the 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 who that was scary when you were a certain age indeed indeed um i'm just going to backtrack on my previous observation as far as i remember there was a black and white sequence of the devil doll from terror of the ortons in the lively arts who's doctor who documentary which i think was broadcast in 1977 mm. so actually they don't have an excuse to misremember <laughs> it as the teddy bear mm. so there you go sorry jeremy got it wrong their notes were messed up exactly so it, that's that's they, they have a picture of a muto from genesis they have the uh mummies from pyramids of mars they have bach from the demons they have the emperor dalek and some daleks from Evil the Daleks. They have the Macra Crab. So yeah. it's a short little article, but it's one of the cover features. Uh, yeah. And that leads into a monster gallery. Yeah. And again, we've got some very, very familiar images <laughs> here. This is basically the press pack. And the, probably the most uh, uh, <laughs> questionable monster choices, they have the Nucleus of the Swarm, the Prawn as the number two monster right next yes. to the Master. <laughs> the angry-looking prawn. I can remember being, obviously being a, a, a lot younger than, cause I wasn't reading the magazine at this point, mm-hmm. The Guardian or whatever it's called from the uh, colony in space. Mm. Really, really freaked me out. Um, the puppet. As, a, yeah, the as an tiny, image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when you actually watch it, it's kind of less freaky, um, mm-hmm. but as a black-and-white image, it's really pretty intimidating. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Moving on, there's a little two-page spread on state of decay that really doesn't have much into it at all no, it's just again i think it's press photos with some mm-hmm. blurb basically on that one the more interesting article is the next one of uh doctor who at madame tussards yeah which is fascinating actually it's got tom um i don't know who's taking these pictures does it credit that at all no it doesn't by tony russell bbc does, enterprises yes. um so the fascinating thing is one i love seeing tom in not in his Doctor Who costume. I mean, I think he's got a great line in double-breasted pinstripe suits and no tie. <laughs> you know, just the kind. You know, he's just basically just come from the Colony Club, or he's just on his way to the Colony Club. Pretty much. Um, um, but then the, I think fascinating thing here is that this is the creation of the famous Tom Baker waxwork that would feature so prominently in um, the press photographs for the Five Doctors. Yes, yeah. along with the Megalos Doctor in the the. Uh, this is the first time ever in the history of Madame Tussauds uh, that a person has been featured twice in the same exhibit. Uh-huh. Megalus Tom and Boiler Suit Tom, or well, and, Fourth Doctor Tom. And Fourth Doctor Tom, yeah, exactly. Very good. Along with, <laughs> and the exhibit featured Tom along with some of his deadliest foes, including a Fomassi, Megalus, Marshman, the Nyman, <laughs> a Santaran, and Davros. So... Some of his deadliest, basically what they could get from season 18 monsters. A and some motley sims. crew, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And they do a nice uh, name check on the sculptor, Judith Craig, who worked with three parts beeswax, one part uh, vegetable tallow to form the likeness of Tom Baker. Yeah, which I think is what they used for everybody, really. It wasn't yes. just him. But this yeah. is one of those details that uh, yeah. Marvel is known for. Exactly, exactly, exactly. (laughs) 
did the fantastic facts survive by the time you were a regular reader of Doctor Who, or did they? Uh, you know, I started picking it up really in the early, very late 80s or early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, really in the kind of wilderness years is when I was reading the magazine. So, mm-hmm. no, fantastic yeah. facts had not had not. This um, is the kind of filler that just would drive me nuts as someone who would buy this if I if I had bought it. It's just sort of like I do not care for this kind of trivia filler and i skipped over it (laughs) you don't you weren't interested to read about how they are marriages in indonesia nope nope (laughs) yeah again or martian lava martian lava sounds it sounds enticing don't care Um, don't care (laughs) moving moving swiftly on yeah i mean i think again if you look at some of the obviously this was a traditional feature in Christmas annual so mm-hmm. you know you look at a Dalek annual or a Doctor Who annual from the 70s and even into the 80s you'll, mm-hmm. you'll always have a page of fantastic facts it's a great way of filling some space yep. and the next way they fill the space is uh, a star profile of Terrence Dix for DWM yeah as well as having two very slightly <laughs> are those, they're just mirror images right <laughs> the same picture they, of they, Terrence Dix they kind are of. They, well they yeah. are because he's sitting with the bookshelf to his left on the one side of the page and to his the same bookshelf to his right on the other side of the page and it is mirrored uh, two different expressions but yeah it's uh, it's disconcerting uncanny valley one of those terran sticks it is is weird it looks as though terran sticks i don't know yes it it, 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 it's it's an odd effect Mm -hmm. the other odd effect on this page is the kind of snow on top of star profile oh yeah well it's because it's january right I, I guess, which is the traditional time of snow. Would it come out in Christmas time? Yeah, I guess. I is don't it, know. I think it's the only Christmassy thing in the whole magazine, right? I have no idea why they did it. Yeah, I, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a nice kind of you know idiosyncratic touch. Someone just drew some. I guess there's snow on Fantastic Facts as well. Sorry, I'm just going to the previous page. So yeah, maybe they would just okay, right? It's it's January, Christmas, whatever. We're just going to draw snow on stuff. I wonder if Star Profile and Fantastic Facts was in a lot of Marvel things, and it was it was already that could just be copied from or taken from one that like, yeah I mean, page I think... layout from one to the next. I mean, certainly for a, a lot of comics, they would just snip, and I think actually uh, in Doctor Who magazine as well, up, up until relatively recently, I mean, I have Doctor Who magazine artwork where they have literally cut out the masthead from that current page and then just mm-hmm. used it again in in the next issue. So this these might have actually been mastheads they were used in the Christmas issue and they just snipped them out and slapped them on Could be. Um, the January issue because, of course, you know, they would have had quite a lot of time off over Christmas. So it would have been a bit of a rush to get this one out in January. There was a, a interesting couple interesting things, I think, in this uh, star profile of Mr. Dix. He says that when it came to writing the screenplay for State of Decay, he totally ignored the first draft, the, the one that he had written, the vampire mutations, way back in for Tom Baker and Louise Jameson back mm-hmm. then. And for all intents and purposes, it was a new story. Yeah. So just basically took the plot and then rewrote it from get-go. And then as, as it's been uh, brought to the surface decades later, he does hint at the little frou that he had with Bidmead about changing his script and bidmifying it because he's talking about um, uh, Terrence Dix points out drastic changes cannot be made without the writer's approval 
even after the script has been handed in and accepted, because in that respect, the story is still the writer's property. Right. As it's famously known or infamously known that Bidmead had made some changes and the director let Dix know and wanted the original Terrence Dix story back and uh, uh, he got it. And I think uh, Terrence Dix is hinting at this little episode in this uh, interview. In this interview, yeah, 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 yeah. He's very professional about it, of course, but uh, uh, I think this is an early hint of what probably was a pretty big blow up between uh, director Peter Moffat and Terrence Dix and Christopher Bidmead about what had happened to State of Decay, the script of State of Decay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, you know, and and I think in some ways that was Dix's cue to kind of, you know, I don't know, not really be involved in the show anymore. Yeah, at least until Bidmead had gone. (laughs) That's exactly, yes. Uh, we get an ad for the X-Men and Thing. Uh, yep, never like any Marvel stuff. And then a right. two-page photo spread of the town's Wang Chang. There we go. Lovely Victorian script-ish at the top, kind of pre-Raphaelite piece of letter set. Yep, very nice. Um, and again, some pretty standard press shots that will be familiar to connoisseurs of the cover of the Target novels. A very nice picture of Louise Jameson as Leela, though, smiling in the upper left-hand corner. Yes, beautiful. Right underneath her being menaced by the giant rat. By a fluffy rat. (laughs) But uh, must take the rough with the smooth. Exactly, exactly. Probably the interesting, most interesting time capsule thing was the Marvel Comics Film and Fantasy Convention 1980 photo feature. Yeah, I found that super interesting. Mainly uh, just to, you know, um, looking at how awful everybody looked in the late 70s, early 80s. (laughs) Um, uh, Though Alan Moore hasn't changed one bit. He still looks exactly like that by all accounts. But yeah, people's hairstyles, geez. Steve Moore really looks like he's from the 70s. Obviously, this was 1981. So. Yep, yep. And at the very end, Steve Dillon, I'll point out him. Steve Dillon is a um, very, very young. He, I think he, start, he started when he was 14 or 15 drawing comics and just was had the most amazing kind of innate skill in drawing, drew a number of the backup strips for Doctor Who Monthly and did great work in America, particularly working on Preacher with Garth Ennis, uh, but died very young um, and had an alcohol problem. So Mm. it's kind of sad and also nice to see him with his digital watch at the (laughs) Marvel Comics Film and Fantasy Convention 1980. I wish I'd been there. It looks like it was pretty good. They have Dave Martin there signing his uh, novels there and consoling... Young fans about the fate of K9 and yeah, Matt yeah, Urban yeah. was there doing a visual effects talk and there yeah. uh, Dick Mills was there from the Radiophonics workshop and he was showing off how some technical jiggery pogery was working to make music and quite and quite in a uh, wrapped and adoring group of looks like pretty much boys <laughs> looking up at Mr. Mills there. Yeah, well, fair enough. <laughs> Though so there, there, there are some girls in the background, unless it's very young boys with long hair. Yeah, well, it was almost the 70s. There you go, exactly. Can't tell. It's a, not the highest quality print. Yeah, I do like the weird kind of cloaky design that encapsulates the page, which, <laughs> um, I don't know. Is that signature? So that's Paris 80. I, w- I wonder if that's the person who drew I wonder who Paris is. 
Mm, I don't know. I think it was an excuse not to run more photos because they only have four photos. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 yeah they, I guess maybe they had to get permission or something. Who knows? And then we have a touchdown on Deneb 7. Yes, which is written by Paul Neary and illustrated by the fabulous David Lloyd. Um, David Lloyd, of course, did, a, again, illustrated a lot of these backup strips with Neary. Uh, and I, I actually, looking at this, I'm wondering whether this is drawn by Paul Neary and then inked by David Lloyd, looking at the style. Hmm. But David Lloyd, famously, for comics, well, I, I guess if you're a comics nerd, you already know this, um, went on to draw Watchmen, uh, not Watchmen, beg your pardon, uh, V for Vendetta, which is an Alan Moore script for Warrior hmm. magazine, and then got reprinted, I think, by Dark Horse in the United States and became a movie. And from that movie came the Guy Fawkes mask that every Sunday anarchist likes to wear um, when they are throwing stones at people in Portland. So, um, yeah, <laughs> David Lloyd is actually kind of an important cultural figure. He came up with that mask that everyone wears. Excellent. Yeah. And the look and this is very, reminded me very of Star Wars, C-3PO with the androids, robots or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, it's nice. It's 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 um as I said, I'm I'm I said I'm I'm thinking it's I'm thinking it's drawn by Lord uh, draw, uh, draw, drawn by Neary and mm, inked mm. by Lloyd. That would be mm-hmm. my that would be my analysis here. Okay. Had you read this one before? I've not read this one before. No. Well, I mean, I I, I mean, I, I have a complete run mm-hmm. of these magazines, so um, you know, I have read it before. I didn't read it at the time, right, and right. it was nice to read it again as part of this um. What are we calling this? A rewatch, reread? I don't know. A, a something. Retrospective. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did, did, did you have a Star Wars watch for boys and girls? I did have a Star Wars watch, and I did have that Star Wars watch with R two D two and C three P O. Classic. I do Very not. Right. I do not still have it. As far as I know, I may have it at my parents' house in some junk box somewhere. Eight pounds and ninety five pence is a massive sum of money. And that's kind of interesting for me to see that. If you're thinking about the this magazine um, would cost you 60p, 60 30p, pence. 30p. Sorry, th- 30p. I'm, I'm, I'm doubling again. And then 2000 would cost you 16p. Mm-hmm. £8.95 and 95p is... A princely sum. A princely sum indeed. Um, I think this is a Christmas and birthday present rather than something that... Um, well, I suppose, I don't know, maybe if you were like an older nerd... Um, who, you know, I don't know, had a part-time job or something, you'd, you'd buy it. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to see it advertised uh, uh, for boys and girls when boys and girls patently wouldn't be able to afford it. Well, that's January 1981. Any final thoughts on that? Um, no, it, that was, that was, it was super fun to read it, actually. Those are my final thoughts. I, okay. Again, a lot of this, you know, it's just fun to look at the ads. You know, there's a double-page advertisement for BMX bikes Indeed. from Halfords. And I think actually actually connecting that with the um with the watch, I think a some a lot of these these ads would be kind of nag ads where you know you would be reading this and then you would like, "Mom, dad, right. I want a Star Wars watch." Or like, "Mom, dad, I want a BMX bike." Though it is just after Christmas, so mm-hmm. um unless you had a birthday coming up, you'd you'd have to wait a whole year before you got yourself a BMX bike. Who knows? Yeah. Well, yeah. didn't you get bikes in the spring? Would you get them for Christmas? Um, well, well, you'd either get you'd get them for your birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you had a springtime birthday, yes, you'd get a bike. Perfect. But if your birthday, like mine, was in October, then you'd have to wait all the way till October. Yeah, my birthday's in August, and I didn't get my bike until August. So you are correct. Oh, yep. yes. Interesting. Yeah, of course. Uh, did you have a BMX bike? Were you a big BMXer? 
I was not a BMXer. My folks thought they were too dangerous. I had a Schwinn coaster bike. I could not even have a geared bike. Too dangerous. Yeah, I think that was the conclusion that that my bike purchasing parents came to as well. So I never had a BMX bike. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, no, this is is super nostalgic. Um, It was nostalgic for a magazine I didn't read. Uh, (laughs) But... It's it's really really interesting. To look at it, and it's really nice for me because you know I like comics so much to revisit some of these comic strips. Mm-hmm. So I think the plan is throughout uh, 2021 here, we're going to nip back uh, periodically through the podcast and look at the remaining 11 months and uh, comment on each one. Yeah. So if if you enjoyed this, uh, listener, um, let us know if you think this is boring and we shouldn't do this again. <laughs> Um, also let us know and we will compare and contrast those two responses and decide what to do but yeah no this is actually really fun for us Mm -hmm. so um too bad if you didn't enjoy it this is actually kind of interesting (laughs) oh okay well thank you for listening to us read a magazine i have been (laughs) flipping through the pages with ben (laughs) so listening to us read a magazine sorry this is hilarious carry on (laughs) i've been flipping through the pages with ben um, and I have been wondering why I never got a BMX bike with Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, All right. Well, you'll have to ask your mom when you call her. This I will. Week, next I will. <laughs> I, I do have to nag her for a, B- <laughs> for a Star Wars vintage. watch. Or a Star Wars watch. So cool. Exactly. Uh, well, thanks, everyone. Goodbye. surprisingly fun.